Where's Rigged been? You're undoubtedly asking yourself right now. Well, it turns out Rigged was a lot of work. Additional work besides rolling a handful of dice and telling a story. So, while Feckless Moam Studio is currently three brothers in three separate locations, we've put Rigged on indefinite hiatus. But the ball is rolling to get us together to create this awesome content in a more energetically logical way, with much less extraneous effort in regards to the editing and production. Basically, that's, that's me, that's Nick. I have a two-year-old and a wife who has hobbies, so we gotta share, that's all. That being said, we do have an absolutely awesome replacement cast to get you through this trying time. Those goofballs who brought you rigged are proud to present Random Encounters. I have nearly every D&D monster manual published, so every week I'm going to do a deep dive into one randomly chosen monster from a randomly chosen manual. Matt and Brandon and I will discuss the merits, weaknesses, how one would use this critter as a DM, and even speculate on how you'd play it as a character. Be sure to find Feckless Moans' random encounters in your cast catcher of choice and subscribe, so you don't miss a single monster audibly delivered directly to your ear holes. Hi there. Before we get into random encounters this week, we wanted to tell you about another podcast that you should be listening to. Nick, what's it called? It's called Talk Tull to Me. Hey, Omen, what's it about? Okay, so each week, you and I sit down and discuss a song from the decades-spanning prog rock band Jethro Tull. That is insanely right. Each week <laughs> is the next song chronologically released from their first album in 1968 all the way to present. It's going to take us forever. So subscribe to Talk Tall to Me wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the Feckless Moms Audio Network. FecklessMoms.com Welcome back, kind townsfolk, to the second episode of Random Encounters. Thanks so much for coming back to uh, listen to us talk about some random monster of the week. I am your host, Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And as the Brothers McGill, we are your hosts for this adventure. I am the one with all of the monster manuals, and Matt and Brandon are the ones who will put in a guess as to what the critter is, and then we'll discuss it. This week is going to be a repeat of last week in terms of the manual. Granted, there are 21 manuals to choose from, and I randomly rolled out the Tome of Beasts by Cobalt Press again. So we have that bad boy coming up. We're going to jump right in, and uh, we are going to page 284. All right, so I have page 284 open, and we're going to start with some flavor text. This tiny monstrosity combines the worst elements of a dead frog and a rotting fish. Its slimy, scaly, vaguely humanoid form 
has three clawed arms arranged radially about its body. Its slimy green bat-like wings seem too small to work, yet it flies very well. We can't even make a Ninja Turtles reference on this one for you to accidentally get, Matt. No, no, I was thinking I got nothing on this. It looks like a teeny tiny Cthulhu. Kind of. Given what the description, give it a name. Batfrog? (laughs) (laughs) Na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. My favorite. (laughs) Ribbit, 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 ribbit. Oh, boy. Death Imp. I don't know. Something like that. That that I like. Not even close. It's called a Mamura. Oh, that was my second choice. Thanks. Yep. Always go with the second choice. They are twisted field sprites. Mamuras are the twisted fairies of magical wastelands and barren plains. They were once good-aligned pixie-like fae called Polavoy, or field sprites, but at some point they swore their souls to a dark goddess and were corrupted by her foul magic. Now they are twisted alien things. I would not... Given given what these things look like, I definitely would not place them as fae. They look very, like, otherworldly, great old one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're and they're cross-dimensional. The Mamura is one degree out of phase with the usual five dimensions. As a result, it always appears blurry and indistinct even in bright light and seems translucent in dim light. They babble constantly, but their talk is mostly nonsense. Their minds operate in multiple dimensions in time as well as space, and this allows them to talk to creatures of the realms beyond. That's cool. Because of this, their babble may be prophetic, but only few can decipher it. Hmm. So they don't speak any kind of common language? They can speak common elvish, goblin, sylvan, and void speech. Okay. But what they're speaking is sounds like nonsense, I guess. Oh, okay. If slash when they're talking to that creature from the realm beyond. It's almost say. like they're talking to multiple people at once carrying on a conversation with each one and you're only picking up snippets of each. Right. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Between the multiple dimensions the multiple dimensions in time as well as space. Yeah. That's crazy cool and kind of bananas to wrap your head around. Mhm. And they they occasionally align themselves with powerful goblin tribes or evil wasteland sorcerers for their own unknowable purposes. Mhm. They are CR6, so even though they're they're itty-bitty guys, they're kind of a pain in the butt. Armor class 16, not bad for natural armor, I suppose. Wow. Yeah. I guess if you're not really in one plane of existence all the time, it's going to be harder to hit. Yeah, that, that makes sense, actually. Damage resistance from bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons. Okay. So like a ghost-type figure. Yeah, yeah, kind of. But also is that fae? No, that's not a fae attribute. I think it's it's something a little special. They're they're an aberration. They're small aberrations. Attackers never gain advantage on attacks or bonus damage 
against a Mamura from the presence of nearby allies because they, they have a trait called all-around vision, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they get advantage on stealth checks in darkness. They can distract. Oh, that's cool. Because of the Mamura's alien and forbidding aura, any spellcaster within 20 feet of the Mamura must make a successful DC 14 spellcasting check before casting a spell. If the check fails, they lose their action, but not the spell slot. That's nice. Hmm. They must also make a successful DC 14 spellcasting check to maintain concentration if they spend any part of their turn inside the aura. Wow, they're nasty for casters. Yeah. That's a bummer. And they don't provoke an attack of opportunity when they fly out of an enemy's reach. Wow. And they have the poison stinger for a tail. (laughs) Yeah, they're nasty little guys. Hmm. It doesn't seem to say whether they're... Whether they're, like, solitary or not. But I would not want to come upon a swarm of these, for sure. Yeah, it almost feels like they would be fairly solitary, just because they... They almost feel like a conduit between worlds, and I can't imagine Mm. multiple of those being together at once. Yeah, it feels like that would be um that would that would wreck the realms, you know, the the yeah. the different you'd cross the streams. Yeah, thank you. That I was looking for a good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they they seem they seem wonky. They they seem like they would they would mess with the the space-time fold whatever whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Do they seem to you like they're just a sort of a loner beast or actively well, mischievous it, you know seeking oh, out conflict yeah it doesn't really give enough to determine that other than the fact that the prophetic follower trait they occasionally align themselves with a powerful goblin tribe so they they it seems they do have some sort of purpose mm-hmm. or or could have some sort of purpose yeah if that means hanging out with some goblins to get that done, then so be it. So there's there's something there that they like to do yeah, or, or want to do. But other than that, there's not a whole whole lot to really determine. So so that's that's kind of nice that it leaves it something of a blank slate. Yeah. Matt, do you remember the rules if you're fighting something small as a medium creature? Do you get... Do you get disadvantage on that? Does that even exist in 5e? I don't remember. I don't remember specifically for 5e either. There was something in 3.5 slash Pathfinder, right? I think it's two sizes smaller, though. Oh, it, and it's just like a negative two or something, right? I believe it's something along those lines, yeah. A negative two to hit. Yeah, like a large to a small creature gets gets a negative two to hit, I believe. Okay. Let me see if the Googles bring up anything. No, in 5e, there's no automatic advantage or disadvantage based on size, apparently. Okay, so they did away with that with the newer... Yeah, I guess so. Okay. The only the only real size note is that a small creature attacks with disadvantage when wielding a heavy weapon. Oh, That's sure. That's just because, because they're, they're tiny. I kind of... 
I don't know. I kind of want there to be something of a rule, but I guess is that baked into the into the AC, the natural armor, being what do we say, sixteen or something? Yeah. Just between the the phasing and it being tiny, I don't know. But I don't think like another small like slow thing would have so so good a an armor. No, not not necessarily. Dex is baked into your your natural armor as well. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of taking 5e and deciding to make it a little less crunchy in terms of having all those numbers to deal with and and all that math. So it's that was yeah. just one of the things to go. Yeah, there were a lot of kind of additional add-on numbers given any number of circumstances exactly. in 3-5. Slash Pathfinder. Yep. I don't remember much about 4E other than the fact that it was a video game, but I certainly don't remember fighting anything of differing sizes like that. Yeah. Maybe we fought a dragon, but I don't I don't know if we got any bonuses for it. I don't know. Brando. Mm-hmm. How would you throw this at your players? Given the history of the occasional alignment with the goblin tribes or evil wasteland sorcerers i think it would it would be beneficial for the dm to sort of you know have the, have the party come up against a goblin tribe or wasteland sorcerers and this is kind of just a supportive little character so you would put them in that would be part of the the mob that they're fighting yeah i think i would okay. there would probably be just in my mind there would be sort of a clump of goblins and then maybe two, three, or four of these things kind of sprinkled in there, making sort of surprise attacks or just at, sort of as a means to sort of draw the attention of the party away from the goblins to help the goblins attack, you know, just to make a really challenging encounter. Would you have them directly in the clump, completely visible right from the start? Or are you... Are no. they? coming out of the dark because they do have that advantage on stealth checks in in shade things like that are you going to take advantage of that and even if they're not visible i think they still get effect a caster would still be affected by its aura which is yeah. really nasty Ooh, that you yeah. you make your caster yeah roll to save on these things and they have no idea what's going on yeah i think i think the most effective way would be to sort of bring them from the outside, sort of from the flank or behind, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever way that. Yeah. And to go along with that, the indistinct sort of visage of them, I think that's a huge benefit to them. And I think, I honestly think that was probably something that went into their sort of bump in armor class. They're hard to see. They're hard to, I mean, maybe they're moving along and you can't really tell exactly what, you know what I mean? Like as it's, if you think of something if you look at a hot road on a really, really hot day, that sort of wavy, the heat waving off, you can, yeah. as something moving a, across it, it kind of leaves a trail of its, sort of like a mirage. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That might make you miss miss on an attempt. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that that, uh, that would be the best way to utilize them. So would you add more of a penalty to hit them then? You make it sound as if you would make it even harder for to to hit them, or are you just 
logicking their armor class, essentially. I think it was more of putting logic to the armor class. Okay. It, to me, that's that, that kind of, in reading through the little blurb here, that seems like the most effective attribute or contributive attribute to, to their armor class, to me. Yeah. Because, you know, something so small, you know, they typically don't have such an armor class. Right. Right. So it's the decks and the, and the phasing thing. Yeah. Again. That coupled with like their speed and whatnot is what kind of makes them, it, it steps them up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, how would you play this as a character? <sighs> or or would you? No, that's a, that's a good question. You you don't have a choice. You you are playing this character. How would you yeah. play it? I can definitely see it as playing it more as like a rogue type character where you're yeah. you're stealthy, you're always looking for that sneak attack. Not being able to be flanked is awesome. Cause you can get right up in it and not have to worry about taking any penalties. Oh yeah. And the um the flyby. You could zip yeah, in and out. That too, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely, I can see it as a, a really cool kind of support character in terms of either distraction or just kind of, like you said, flyby fly by damage. You know, you have your tank that's going to take some attention away, and then you're just in and out and, and doing a decent amount of damage each hit. Yeah. Their claw attack... First of all, they have multi-attack, so they can make three claw attacks and one whiptail sting attack per round. (laughs) Their claw, on top of doing a D8 plus four of slashing damage, the target must succeed on a DC 15 con or be poisoned for one round. The poison duration is cumulative with multiple failed saving throws. Wow. Does that mean that it just stays until you save? I it's right? what it sounds like. Poison duration is cumulative with multiple failed saving throws. It builds up. But it says one or be poisoned for one round. But then it says it's cumulative. It cumul- it, it it could just continually accumulates rounds. So Two okay. rounds if you don't save, three rounds if you don't save. It like there's no I think that just means there's no limit. Like maybe it's you gotta save it if you don't save it, and maybe it'll just go away after five. This mm, is just okay. gonna go across the board until you save it. Okay. And in addition, the stinger does a D6 of poison damage. Oh, but that doesn't that doesn't last for the round. Okay. So it's a, just an additional okay. So the Stinger does a D8 plus 4 piercing damage. And if they don't save on the DC 15 con save, they take an additional 1D6 poison damage right off the bat. It doesn't it doesn't stay there. It doesn't keep it doesn't stick out. I think that's what it means for the accumulation. However, if the target is also poisoned by the Mamura's claws, it takes another 1D6 poison damage at the start of each of its turns while the poisoning remains in effect. Ouch. Wow. So you hit him once with the claws, 
and they don't save, then you hit him again with the stinger. That is a... Oh, but see, the claw doesn't give you poison damage. It just says, or be poisoned for one round. So is poison an effect? It's not just damage? Let's see. I guess. Yeah, see what poison is in 5e. However, if you have three claws, you do damage with two, relegate one as poison, and then you get that extra damage from the tail. Oh, no, You the poison is part of the claw attack. You don't choose one or the other. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. You hit him three times with the claws, they have to save against poison three times. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> Brando, what's what's the poison effect? So the poison effect is a poisoned creature has disadvantage on attack rolls and ability checks. So that's like wow. a, it's just sort of a weakening yep. effect. Whereas the poison damage is just, is now, let me ask you this. And is poison damage just additional damage or are there yeah. certain things that take more from it? Like are, are, pro, are susceptible to it? Yeah, certain things could have a, what's it, I guess it would be a weakness to poison. Sure. In that case, it would be, I think, double the damage, or you double the dice that you roll. Oh, wow. I'm not sure, because I know if you have resistance, you cut it in half. Mm -hmm. You cut the, the actual number in half. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think they would make you add half of the roll on top of that mm -hmm. for the damage for the poison damage. Yeah, I don't know. So basically, you hit with one of the claws and they have to save against having disadvantage on attack rolls. And saving saving throws? What what was the attack rolls and ability checks? That makes sense. And then on top of that, if you hit with the tail and they fail that saving throw, that's an additional 1d6 of damage. And then that's where you get into the damage over time, where every time they start their turn, it's a d6 of damage as well until they save. Yeah. That's nasty. It's crazy. You just have a series of crappy rolls. Unless you have like a pally who gives you a, who has an aura that gives you, I don't know if it's advantage on saving throws or, or just a plus on saving throws. Mm -hmm. That's pretty gross. That can add up after a while. And granted, it's only a D6, but that disadvantage on on your rolls is also really bad. Yeah. And after looking at all of this, this looks like a creature that is very, not limited to, but very can be very intelligently used against a tank. Tank is going to be melee. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, it's uh, it has advantage against melee. It has the flyby, so once it comes mm. in, makes an attack and flies away, you're taking away the ability for them to retaliate. Yeah. And then just over time, all this cumulative damage that you can swoop in and do and then just disappear. Uh, if you throw like four of these things in with some goblins, I'm starting to feel bad about what I said before because that would just be, could be devastating. Yeah, f four is a lot to fight with these guys. Yeah. And especially that, having those disadvantages on the, the tank as well, that's that's a bummer. Yeah. But also you want to use it against spellcasters, or at least keep it near enough to spellcasters. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I am just reading this distraction. That is pretty sick against the spellcaster. Twenty feet, which yeah. means they're they're close enough to be hit by pretty much any caster spell. Oh, but they also have resistance against magic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they they have. They're pretty nasty. They're nasty. They're they're little. Uh, they're sappers. I would call them a sapper. They they get in and get out. They're mm-hmm. they're quick and they. They do crummy attacks. They're your they're your modern day drones, you know. Yeah, they just fly over, make their make their pass, and cause their damage, and they're out of the way. Yeah, yeah, they they do their thing while everybody else is distracted. Yeah, and difficult to detect. Hmm. Yeah, those these things are pretty sick. I just want to clarify the magic resistance. They have advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. So if it's just a fireball that you're hauling, hurling at that thing, you got to break its its armor class to 16 and that's it. It doesn't have a resistance against that. But anything for charm or anything like that, they, they do have resistance against that. Hmm. And their fly feet is 30, so they can kind of zip in and out and they'll always stay 20, but they're... They're never going to be 100% out of reach if they're taking advantage of that flyby. Yeah. Brandon, if you were to rate the Mamura from 15 to 46 jellyfish, what would you rate it and why? I think that I would have to go with maybe a 37. Wow, that's it? 15 to 46? 37 is yeah. way up there. I know. I, I just thought it would be a little well, bit higher than that. Well. Okay, you, you explain yourself. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go that's ahead. okay. Only because, although, I mean, I go up a little high because these things are no slouch. Yeah. But even with all of their abilities and weapons if you would they seem to be manageable i think that you could probably take these out with a couple of rounds or a few rounds from a spellcaster even though they have that resistance i think if you focus a spellcaster on them i think that you could really sort of sort of take them out of the game i think a a good solid focus fire take them out first yeah I think they could be dispatched unless their DM is, is a jerk and they throw four at them with right. a mob of goblins as well. Right. That's brand. I felt that <laughs> Matt, final thoughts on the Mamura. Anything terrifying, but they have some good storytelling capabilities. I think mm. um, like you were saying just now with the, the tribe of goblins and whatnot, it would be interesting to be able to, maybe if you focus fire on the Mamora first, then you see chaos within the Goblin Horde because they don't know what's mm. going on. They're, they're God or whatever. However they uh, they view this creature is, uh, is dispatched. Do they disperse? Do they fight harder? Do they worship the creatures that killed the Mamora? Ooh. Like, that's an interesting... You could put a lot of spin on that, and I think that leads for just a, a varied amount of adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's funny. That's really funny. Just a just a dumb band of goblins who 
who obsessed and worshipped this thing just because it was like a modicum smarter than they were. And they, it just, it, it goes up the ladder and the party now has a mob of potentially disposable one hit wonders chum. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just go clear the field and and then we'll make our way through. Yeah. Like that. That's very funny. That would definitely be the smartest thing for the party to accomplish is to, if they're, strategic enough and smart enough not not necessarily smart enough if they know about these things you know you might get a uh, an inex- inexperienced party that doesn't really know what these things are but if you get someone in there that really knows what they are and really knows what they're capable of okay let's take these out first cuz even though they're with a band of goblins these guys are the real problem goblins yeah. you can take out no problem have all your ranged guys focusing on these and, you know, keep them off of your uh, your tank and let your tank just take care of the uh, pile of goblins there. Mm-hmm. I would be very impressed if you had a player who knew what this was. Yeah. It's from the Tome of Beasts. It's cobalt press, so it's not standard material. Um, I highly suggest all DMs pick up the cobalt press stuff because they're great. They're super thick, and they have a crap ton of monsters for a huge number of different party levels and environments and stuff like that. So I would give bonus XP for just knowing who the heck, what the heck this monster was. But even if they're smart enough players, they can recognize this thing is zipping in and out. It's poisoned our tank. Mm-hmm. It's a nasty bugger. And yeah. ever since it showed up, we our casters are having trouble concentrating. Yeah. Well, that's the other advantage that they have is to people that don't know what it is, they're going to get a couple of turns in. They're going to get a couple of licks in before they start to realize, oh, crap, we have to focus on these. Yeah. Be be aware of what you're actually fighting, because yeah. I don't know any goblins that can do this, essentially. No, they're just they're they're mini tanks. They just bludgeon. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even call them a tank. They're fodder. There you go. <laughs> All right. So that is the Mamura. From Tome of Beasts, Cobalt Press's Tome of Beasts, page 284, ranked a 37 out of 46, 15 to 46, jellyfish today. Thanks for tuning in to Random Encounters. Come on back next week for another random monster from a random monster manual. Go to your cast catcher of choice. Rate, review, subscribe, stars. And tell your mom about this podcast. Until next week, I am Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Brandon. And this is Random Encounters. And Random Encounters is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.